It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. But you're not getting the income off and the sponsorships aren't being paid and uh, it's a difficult time for all sports leagues and the CFL is not immune to that. First down. So Don, what have you been up to this week? Shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Wake up Saturday morning. Wow. I, I didn't have a great sleep Friday into Saturday night. So about three in the morning, I looked outside and everything was white. And I went, um, did I just sleep away like the last seven months? Like what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I got a, a text from my daughter uh, who's up in Saskatoon and she showed me the pictures. It looked like you guys were in a snow globe. Or something. <laughs> it was so crazy because not 10 days before, like April the 30th, it was 28. We set a record high temperature. And now <laughs> there's snow on the ground. And it hasn't, every night it's gone below zero. So it hasn't warmed up at all since. Yep. Craziness. It's uh, def- It hasn't been really warm down here either, but we, we certainly didn't get the snow. When I woke up, I got up early on Saturday morning and there was just a tiny skiff of snow. And before... Eight o'clock, it was it was gone. So it shocked me to see how much snow you had there and, and how big the snowflakes were. Yeah, it was one of those uh, snow globe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where they, I, I said to my wife, actually, at the time, doesn't it remind you of a movie set? And that's, isn't, isn't this like the type of fake snow that they use? And she kind of giggled at that. It's a dawn in Frozen 3. no it was just different but we do get snow in may it has happened well i've even seen snow in june so whatever i mean life goes on when we live in saskatchewan we have to be prepared for absolutely anything the variance in in uh april alone Mm -hmm. plus 28 on the last day of the month and somewhere towards the beginning of the month it was minus 22 so you've got a variance of 50 degrees celsius well and i remember being out in march sitting on my deck it was plus 16 i mean this is saskatchewan you're not supposed to be out in the deck in t-shirts in in middle of march but yep. yeah strange things it's life on the prairies it is it is that's what it is yeah. there's nothing more magical to it it's life on the prairies you wake so wake up every day and you just don't know you might see snow you might see hail you might see a thunderstorm you might see a heat wave you don't know so don do you think we've uh, just enticed our listeners to move into uh, saskatchewan life on the prairies I hope so. <laughs> we haven't talked about the wind yet. We could add that in. <laughs> that might dissuade uh, them. Let's let's stay away from the wind because there's enough of that to go around. There sure is. There sure is. Yeah, it's. Uh, we can get some more moisture down south here because we did not have that snow and our farmers are needing a little bit to get things going, but we also need some above zero temperatures. <laughs> it's been very cold at night. Yeah. Just went for a walk not long before this uh, podcast and it was, uh, well, I had a jacket as well as a, a, a fleece on and it. Uh, I wasn't warm. Well, I was out transplanting this morning, getting my little tomatoes and celery ready to go to get prepped for the garden. But Mm -hmm. there was a lot of concern in our minds. Once we moved them into the bigger pots, well, we can't leave them out overnight. Where are we going to store them? Because we can't allow them to freeze now that they've moved out of the basement. So they're in the garage and hopefully they'll be warm enough there. Well, by this weekend, I know that uh, we're calling for 24, I believe, is it on Sunday with lows of plus nine. So maybe at that point you can keep them out. 
We'll see. That's remember you're <laughs> yeah. quite far south compared to me. So twenty four is usually about ten here. Right. <laughs> We're not that far apart. It's only two and a half hour drive. So speaking of drives, somebody had to make one to uh, Parliament Hill. Yeah, they sure did. Randy Ambrosi went out to the uh, Standing Commons Finance Committee and had a chance to present. What did you think, Don? He certainly got grilled. He certainly was, uh, in my mind, I think, sort of leaving a lot of questions more than he gave answers. Mm -hmm. I I don't disagree. Everything I've read says that uh, people were a little shocked at how unprepared Randy Ambrosi was, because usually when he walks in a room, he's done a great job of having all the facts and he does well. But uh, in front of the Commons Committee, I'm, I'm understanding that he seemed a bit unprepared. You're not going to always know exactly what materials you need to produce that they want to take back home with them. So it's not that I have any pertinent experience with it, but I have had experience presenting to government in the past. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And you just don't know when you walk in the room what's going to be asked. No. And in this case, yeah, he probably got caught out a little bit. Uh, He certainly did not seem that confident about the way he presented himself and uh, even though I said he drove there, it was figuratively because he obviously did everything by a Zoom or some other app. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it can't be easy to be called in and, and be have all the preparations done. And I think part of what maybe weighed on them looking unprepared was the fact that the, the CFLPA and the CFL weren't on the same page, it appears, at this point in time. Uh, they weren't really working together to determine how this plan moving forward will go. And I think that reflected poorly when the uh, ministers and MPs started asking questions. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about that and what was the money for in terms of was it to pay their salaries, was it to pay players' salaries, was it to pay expenses? Mm -hmm. And maybe because negotiations were still ongoing with the players, maybe at that point the the whole idea of... (sighs) giving that information out was a bit of a problem for him because you can't give away your negotiation hand. That that certainly could be part of it too. I mean, that uh, it was interesting in the fact that uh, the, the question came forward and you and I talked to this last week about bailout versus a loan. And, and I'm understanding that Randy Ambrosi kind of dropped the ball on that question too. My, my understanding was certainly from the initial conversation that Ambrosi put forward in the media that that this was they were looking at it initially as a loan but he he wasn't able to clarify one way or the other according to MP Kevin Wong. Yeah and that was a little bit distressing but it it does sort of speak to the complexity of the issues in front Mm -hmm. and I think the CFL ultimately is looking at a situation where they're trying to present a case where they really don't know what's going on behind them. And that is whether or not they'll be able to play this year, whether or not how many games they can play. Can it be a condensed schedule where maybe there's shortened time periods between each game? There's so much flux. It's just an impossible situation. I don't care who you are. We've, We've said before, we're fans of Ambrosi, we're fans of the CFL, and we certainly want them to be able to make a, a solid case for the fact that, uh, they're in need, and we want to see the league go forward. So hopefully some plan can come forward and and uh, they can have an understanding of what the plan will be as we move ahead. And one of the questions that, that was posed by Rob Vanstone in the Leader Post today was that the league, uh, he believes, needs to be much more transparent with its business model and plan. What were your thoughts on that, Don? Finding out the CFL is, in fact, running a deficit and, and uh, 
lost money last year and, and really didn't come forward in this point, at least with a full plan. I heard about the, the losses from the previous year, and I'm, I have no doubt that keeping the Montreal Alouettes afloat probably cost the league quite a bit of money, but it was something they had to do. So there were going to be losses resulting from that until the Alouettes could be sold, which happened at the end of the season. The, the transparency side of it, again, I think we kind of touched on that last week. Yes, transparency is important, but when you're making a pitch to a loans officer, only that loans officer should see those books. Mm -hmm. I don't know that to you or I or anyone else that isn't a stakeholder, like a stakeholder in the sense that we own something in this process, do we have the right to see everything that goes on, like right down to the penny? Well, from a taxpayer point of view, if the government's using taxpayer funds to float it, I guess that's where the call for transparency could be made. I certainly agree with you when it's an individual or, or a, you know, a business that's not relying on large loans or potentially a bailout, however this one works out, as being part of it. It's an individual business. They're going to go forward and bring all their financials and, and lay it out for the one person going. But when taxpayer money goes in, I think some people are, are feeling that they should be able to see at least some of this or some history. I mean, not the minute details, but has the CFO consistently lost money? Is there an opportunity for it to make money? And if so, can they actually look at it as a loan as opposed to a bailout? The, the league can make money. I think it's viable. I, I don't see this as a bailout, but that I mean, that could come down to your definition of what a bailout entails. Mm -hmm. I ultimately think that it's a to me it's still quite confusing as to what is being expected. And I understand the angst from the federal government or the used to standing committee's point of view because they want the players to be involved. Elimin has basically said that negotiations were at an impasse, so yep. How do you get the players back on board? And Ambrosi said to Naylor on TSN, the players are a huge part of this process. They've got to be. They're going to be. Now we have to see how that's going to manifest because the ball is clearly in the league's court. They have to now decide how to bring the players along with them. And I do believe if that's what the government wants, then you have to certainly respond to that and give them the information that makes them feel comfortable because it is taxpayers' money. Now, granted, if it's $150 million, it's going to cost each of us $5, but it's not in isolation. There's no. this, there's the Alberta oil sands, there's uh, other companies. There's all these things that have just come together that the government has had to try to keep this economy alive and keep people in some sort of modicum of sustenance that they can survive upon. Absolutely. So it, it makes it difficult for both sides. And this is where it's really, really tough. You've got a league that wants to survive. They want to go forward. You've got a government that has to reasonably has the same questions. We want to go forward. How do we do it? Yep. So like, there's just got to be a middle ground They've got to get the CFLPA involved. I've read today now from Three Down Nation that they're talking to the Attorney General. They, mm -hmm. They're doing some lobbying. They're going different routes. They're trying to really make their case, yes. And I, I think that there is probably a lot of political will to see them get help, but they have to do more 
to make everybody satisfied with that help. The only issue and, and question I would have is, is you know, I understand what you're saying, that, that we have to know the players are involved and what goes on. But the fact that the CFL also employs a good number of American players. I mean, if, if people find out that uh, some of this fund is going to pay player bonuses across the border, is that something that taxpayers would be wanting to do? So I think that, that therein lies a bit of the tricky part for being the CFL and saying, okay, if we're playing our players the ones who are not living in Canada are going to take that pay somewhere else and, and potentially benefit that region as opposed to the region in Canada that they're playing within. Well, that's a great question, and that is part of that negotiation. And I think absolutely, I don't think that there's a lot of angst right now over that. No, certainly it's a question that has to be answered. But I see it as a part of a bigger picture, which is if you're going to get this money, are you going to be paying the players, or what are you going to do with that money? And there, there's talk of operating losses for the league with no season of about $100 million this year. Mm-hmm. So little doubt that the money is needed. But you have to get all your partners involved. Yes. And this is the problem, I think. If the CFL does not get the PA involved, and even Naylor said shame on the CFL and shame on the PA for not getting together on this. This is probably the most critical moment in the CFL's history. Yep. And here the CFL, in this moment of crisis has got to pull its constituents together. They've got to be standing arm in arm as they go into that virtual room. They absolutely do, I agree. And I think that that's where Solomon Elamimian has kind of laid that back at the league, saying we do want to be part of this, and unfortunately we weren't really involved. So the CFL has work to do, and Randy Ambrosi has work to do. I think uh, this is not a situation where any decisions can be made immediately. I think there's got to be some time to have people process, time for the CFL to work with the CFLPA and come back with a a more transparent, because I think people have to be aware of what some of the business plan is in terms of, is it a bailout? Is it a loan? And also, where exactly will the money be allocated? If not down to specifics of players and that, uh, from a global viewpoint, at least, so that the people who are making that decision have the information required to be able to make that decision. Well, you look at Ambrosi's situation, he's got nine ownership groups Mm -hmm. telling him what to do. Ramsey and Elamanian have... 350, 400 different people that have a stake in this. Yep. But they're probably more homogenous in their viewpoint than the nine are that uh, Ambrosi has to talk to. So, I mean, you've got Braley on the one end, you've got uh, you've got three community-owned teams. Yep. It just makes it that much more complex. It's just not yep. the same for everybody. Well, the CFL has used the uh, slogan before, diversity is our strength, and uh, the diversity right now, hopefully we can bring a lot of these things together to move forward with a collective voice. Well, the bottom line for me is, is that the league has to survive because I just already I'm having withdrawal symptoms and we technically haven't lost a game yet. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, no one's going to cry for me and that's fine. I think it is part of our culture, part of our, our ethic in Canada. It is so much a part of our history. I don't think anyone argues about its importance. It's just how do we make it so that if there is a loan or whatever money's come to it, that they are what we expect them to be. Absolutely. Not an easy task. Second down. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. 
Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. All right, welcome back, everyone. And we're here with Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck. Well, the one thing about the Alouettes last year that if anyone was within earshot of me, I've, I said all year long, I don't want to face that team in the fourth quarter. They, they were just dynamite when it came to the last 15 minutes. No, the, the, the cardiac kids, as they were called, uh, I, my gosh, like so many last minute. It's funny, like people would start to waver during the game. I remember like, I, again, I live tweet throughout the games and people would say, oh, this is it. They're going to lose. This is terrible, blah, blah, blah. Why can't they get things? So I'm like, just wait, just wait. It's going to happen. It's going to, like I said, I've, I've likened it to just flipping a switch. And that's what it really feels like. It just feels like the first half of games, they kind of just muddy their way through and just try to, get, it's almost like they're just trying to figure things out. And then all of a sudden it's like right away, Adams will just flip that switch or Kahari Jones flips that switch. And I was like, okay guys, this is how we do it. And then everything just falls into place. It, it was unbelievable. And then just, sure enough, even if you're down by 20 plus points, like they were to the Winnipeg blue bombers at home, they just, they clawed and fought their way back. And sure enough, they won that game. And the noise, like when the fans got behind it, they were into it. And when they scored that winning touchdown with uh, Jake Winecki, holy crap, the, the noise from that stadium was just like nothing I've ever heard before. And game after game after game, like it's just so many moments throughout the 2019 season where you're like, you think this team's done. They're not done. It, it, it was incredible. Just the effort that they put in, the fact that they never gave up on themselves, it was it was really something to watch. It was something that we hadn't seen in Montreal in a long, long time. Vernon Adams left no shadow of a doubt that, no, he's not the next Anthony Calvillo, but you can definitely put him in that same conversation as far as quarterbacks who come in, work hard, do their job, and lead. And that's the thing. He is a leader. Vernon Adams is 100% a leader. He's been a leader for a while. It's just now people are starting to realize that, hey, we've really got something special here. And sure enough, the Alouettes realize it too. And that's why they signed him to an extension. They're doing everything they can to make sure that he remains the man here in Montreal for years to come. And now it's just got to hurt like all that momentum that was built out of 2019. And we're in this holding pattern and probably no season in 2020. It's just got to be excruciating. It, it really is. There's, in fact, there is, it's so funny. Like you think about all the stuff that happened last year and that, that in and of itself would be a great story going into 2020. But now you've got, like, during the offseason, the Montreal Alouettes finally got their ownership situation settled. They brought in a brand new general manager and a new president to run the team. Uh, they had a pretty decent offseason as far as free agency goes. Uh, the draft that happened a, a couple weeks ago, I think that it was a very solid draft, all things considered, uh, considering there was no combines and there was, it really hampered a lot of the way that they do, like, traditional drafts methods as far as finding that, that that next talent who's going to play for your team things had to be done a little bit differently that's just the way it is but i think by and large the alouettes did a decent job being able to adapt to the situation that was put in front of them and still managed to draft some pretty decent players so between the free agents the draftees the new front office so to speak and new ownership like there was a lot to be excited about the fact that rookie minicamp should have gotten going this week and then training actual training camp get going this coming weekend and now it's not going to like that sucks. I mean, it, it sucks for everybody, not just for fans, but also for the players too. You can feel it. The, the people on the team as well, like the the other employee, like front office employees, like anyone who's associated with the football team and any football team really in the Canadian Football League. It, it's just such an unfortunate circumstance. It's understandable. I mean, this is no one could have predicted that this was going to have such an impact on sports in general, let alone the CFL. But this is the situation we find ourselves in. And it's just, it's 
disappointing more than anything else is that we want to carry on that momentum, that, 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 that good feeling that came out of Montreal last year, like just to be able to keep that going and just see what Vernon Adams and the rest of the team could do going into the 2020 season. Like that to me was one of the things among many that I was looking forward to when, uh, when the season was to get underway, but now it's either on pause or may end up being completely written off altogether. And that, that would just be unfortunate more than anything else. We've heard Ambrosi go in front of the Commons Finance Committee and say we need thirty million now, potentially one hundred and twenty million more to get us through all of this. We've I've heard a hundred million is a potential loss for the league this year if there is no season. Where do you think we're all at with this? Do you think the the CFL could get that? Do you think they've done the right thing by going that route? Maybe they could have gone it a different way. Well, if you're going to go to the government hat in hand and ask for whether you want to call it a loan or a bailout or what have you, I mean, the league at least has said it's a, they're considering a loan or a partnership, if you will. And I guess maybe that helps soften the blow as opposed to please give me money. Like, I mean, if you, if you go there and looking to be bailed out like the, the airline industries or any of these other, like, it, it's kind of hard to look at things on the surface and say, okay, well, Let's bail out this institution, but let's just say screw you to a bunch of other also well-meaning organizations because they're having financial hardships. I, I think the big thing now with the Canadian Football League is the way that they've been running things. It's been kind of haphazard as far as how things go financially. They still manage to pull it out. Like It doesn't seem like anybody's truly in dire straits, especially the Alouettes. Now they've got new ownership is you know any sort of concerns that they had with uh, the league running things. That's all out the window now because now we've got a financial ownership group. Now you got to look at the CFL as a whole and say, okay, well, how is it that you guys are not making enough money to survive for, to the point where like other sports leagues are going to be okay because they've got massive TV contracts or they have, they've, they've got money in the bank, so to speak. Like, like the, the financial coffers are huge there, but when it comes to the Canadian football league, you don't get rich owning a team in the Canadian football league. You're doing it strictly out of the love of the game, you know, out in the prairies, out in uh, Alberta, it's a money-making operation, but in the big cities, ironically enough, or Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, you're probably going to be running in the red for a little bit. And for the most part, the ownership groups there know that, but now as a whole, when you, when you take a look at what the CFL has to do to sort of present themselves to the government and say, listen, we need help because if we don't play games, we're a gate-driven league. If we do not play games, we do not have fans in the stands buying our tickets, buying merchandise, and so forth. We got nothing. We, we can only go so far with our TV contract. And at that point, like I can tell that the league is going to have to make some serious decisions, and the government is going to have to take a look at things too. And I, I think that they want to help out, but at the same time, it's like, well, how did you get to this point? And what if, even, if we give you any sort of money in order to help keep you afloat, how is that going to work? How is it? How is that money going to be used? And how is it going to work so that you can eventually get back onto the field, whether it's this year or possibly next year, and get things back to a good place, so to speak? I think that's going to be a huge issue for that's that's a big question that Randy Ambrose is going to have to answer and answer properly because again, you've got so many people right now that are not working, cannot justify putting extra like any disposable income they have. I don't know how many people necessarily want to use it to invest in the CFL. And even if you're a huge football fan, what's more important? Paying your bills, uh, making sure your family's fed, or buying tickets to go see the Alouettes at Purcell Molson Stadium? I can understand why people would obviously want to go and take care of the family before they take care of the CFL, no matter how big of a football fan you are. But these are questions that are going to be asked league-wide. And 
I don't know if Randy Ambrosi is going to have all the answers for it, but he's going to have to figure out something and then come up with a solid game plan, so to speak, to be able to get themselves out of this potential quagmire. Well, one of the things that Ambrosi always has to deal with is the fact that he's got three community-owned teams and he's got six privately-owned teams. And the needs of each are quite different because if you're a community-owned team, you have no other revenue stream whatsoever. At least with a private owner, maybe if there's no season, you still may have a business that's going to survive. Mm-hmm. How do you come to terms with all of that? It's huge. I mean, like it's, when you think about the community-owned teams, like that's it's great to say that you are a private shareholder and you pretty much you can control what's happening. Whereas with a privately owned team, you may not always have that control. But as you said, privately owned teams, it's usually the people that own these teams, they can afford to write off a, a few hundred or a few million dollars loss at the end of the day. Whereas a private, the community owned team doesn't necessarily have that luxury. No. However, they are the ones that are making money when the season's going, when everything's good. So this is one of those challenges. Again, it comes back to what can the community do to help their football team? And are they going to be able to position to do so? Because as I said, your priority should be taking care of yourself, paying your bills, paying, make sure your family's taken care of. And then if you've got money left over, then worry about your football team. So it's, it's going to be one of those, one of the many, many, many challenges that faces uh, Randy Ambrosi as he goes ahead with, and I don't know how he's going to explain this to the government as far as why certain teams are so successful and teams in bigger cities, for example, one would think that these these uh, these cities wouldn't need that help either. But it's such a weird dynamic with Canadian Football League, just how, how it all comes together, how it all works. And the one thing I often think about too is a lot of people are also asking like, well, could the NFL help out the Canadian Football League? And do, would they have the financial means to do so? Perhaps. Is that something that, is that a road that the CFL would want to go down again? Because back in 97, the NFL floated a bit of cash to help the, uh, the Canadian Football League out, and it helped kept kept them above water as well. And there wasn't a pandemic going on during that time either. Would the NFL want to do something like that again? I honestly don't know. If they did, does that come back to well? This just makes them. Just, does this make the Canadian Football League just a feeder league again for the NFL? Some would argue it already is, but I mean, like I said, it's 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 just one of those questions that will have to be answered and. I don't know. I, I, I'll tell you right now, though, I, I wouldn't want to be Randy Ambrosi's shoes. Like, these are not easy things to have to go through. How significant is it that he hasn't had the CFLPA on side with him when he's making these presentations? Like, he hasn't, as of yet, come to an agreement to have them stand with him and, and go to the Commons that way. Uh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, that that's a big misstep. I mean, you've got to have everybody on board. And when I say everybody, you've got to, you, you talk about wanting a partnership with the government of Canada to get this this influx of cash. Well, you got to have a partnership with every, like every, if you're going to have a partnership, everybody's got to be a partner. And that includes the players as well. I, I think what's interesting though, is uh, the current president of the Canadian football players association is an American. And I don't know if he's necessarily going to have all the Canadian interests at heart, even though like this is where he makes his money. This is his bread and butter is playing in the Canadian football league to have him not be able to come and be a part of that too, may also be a factor as well. But this Definitely something that Randy Ambrosi should have been considering as, as far as presenting a united front and showing that, hey, we're all in this together. Like that's, that's supposed to be the key element here is that we're all in this together as far as the Canadian Football League as a whole trying to present itself to the Canadian government. That should, that should have been the first thing. And if you don't have the players on board and you're not keeping them in the loop as to what you're planning to do and how you're trying to help strengthen things so that whether we have a shortened season or 
is just to make sure that we're going to be okay for next season. Yeah, this is definitely something that Randy Ambrosi definitely should have taken into consideration, if you will. And the fact that he didn't, I, I hope that's a step that he's going to correct because at the end of the day, you definitely need to have the players on board. You got to have all nine teams. Like, like as commissioner, you're, you're answering to all nine teams, like they're governors and that, but in all reality, you've got to have everybody on board. I hope this is something that he considers and the next time he, if he does get a chance to meet with the government again, and if he's able to present that friendly, just have a couple of representatives from the team, like the, from the players, in addition to whomever you've got behind you from the teams themselves. Again, it comes back to being that united front, showing that everybody is in this and that we all want to be a part of something bigger for this league. How scary is the prospect of, Coming up through the COVID crisis and then not having CFL football at the end of the day wasn't part of the reward getting back to normality in terms of watching our favorite league go back into action? Well, <laughs> believe me, I, I love my football at all levels. So, I mean, it's I know we're going to have sports again at some point. It certainly won't be the way that it used to be. I can pretty much guarantee that. How it's going to end up shaping up for the future, I honestly can't tell you whether it's going to be playing games in empty arenas for a little while, or if it's just going to be like arenas with maybe 5,000 fans instead of 25,000 fans. It's so hard to say right now. It, it just seems so bizarre to think of it all. But I mean, we we're going to have to accept that we can't go back to normal. Like what the normal didn't work before. We're going to have to adapt. We're going to have to change. There's no two ways about that. It's just a matter now of, okay, we, we accept that there's going to be a new normal. What's that new normal going to be? And it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to truly adjust. And I want to believe that, though, that the fans of the Canadian Football League, they're going to do whatever it takes. They, they love their football. It's one thing I, I get. I speak with fans from literally all nine cities and beyond. And that's the only thing. They just want their football. They just want to be able to watch football. And even if it means they're going to have to make some sacrifices, I think they're willing to do it. That's how much, that's how much love and support that this league has is – even if they, they can't do it like they used to, they still want to, They still want football back in some way, shape, or form. And if that means you know not being able to see a game this year live, then so be it. And if it means that uh, okay, well we can't have you know twenty five thousand people in the stands. It's only going to be ten thousand for a little while until we have a vaccine, perhaps, and then maybe then maybe then we can have bigger crowds again. So be it. I, I really believe that CFL fans will do whatever it takes to be able to say that they have their football back, that they can go back and support their team the way they used to. They'll do whatever it takes. That's one thing I've noticed with this with this country as a whole is we're willing to do what it takes to survive and thrive and just let us know what needs to be done. That's one. That's the one thing I've noticed above all else is that people are willing to adapt, willing to make changes if they have to. They may not like it at first, but if that's what's got to be done in order to get what you want, they're willing to do it. And I think with CFL fans, if they got to make some changes to what they used to, maybe we can't do the tailgates like we used to. Maybe we can't, you know, high five and cheer like we used to. At the end of the day, we just want to watch football. I know that's what I, at the end of the day, that's all I want to do is I just want to be able to watch football in some way, shape or form. And if we got, if I got to make changes, then so be it. If other season ticket holders have to make changes or teams themselves have to reaccommodate things, do what you got to do. That's how I've always looked at it. And I think no matter what, it'll be different, but we'll get back to where we, we were before. It won't be quite the same, but I have a feeling given another year or so, things will be different. But I think eventually we will get back to where we were before. Thanks for doing this, Cliff. Where can people find you? 
Uh, well, if you want to check me out on Twitter, I'm at Cliffy D, C-L-I-F-F-Y-D. Uh, if you want to check out my thoughts on the Alouettes, always uh, in uh, word form, you can do so at my blog over at www.alsternative.com. And definitely tune into the Alouettes flight deck. Uh, we do try to, as I said, we, we try to keep things uh, as relevant as possible. Uh, you can go to alouettesflightdeck.ca, or you can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Music. And also be sure to give my co-host, Tim, a follow as well on Twitter. He's at Repact, R-E-P-P-A-C-T. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. This was a real, real treat. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Third Down Gamble. And what a great interview that was with Cliff. I'm just so impressed. Wow. That guy knows his stuff. You know, I'm looking forward to it when this podcast comes out on Thursday. I will definitely be checking it out because I always enjoy listening to uh, Cliffy and Tim. Well, the one thing that I liked about it, and it's been said in other podcasts, I think to and out probably the most vociferously, is that the Canadian family in the CFL is amazing and that you can get together with fans of other teams and even though you're cheering for different colors, you can all get together and still support the league. And um, just talking to a, somebody from Montreal who was relaying their situation there and, of course, it's far different in a major center than it is for you and I, where we're in mm-hmm. small town Saskatchewan. It was fascinating, but you you felt that kinship right away. We're talking football. It was great. And we're all lovers of the CFL, so it definitely allows us to uh, talk just like we're talking to someone else in the stands. And if uh, if people could see our, our texts back and forth in the middle of the game from the different sides of uh, Mosaic Stadium, they would probably wonder if we're even friends. Well, I know our wives are looking at us cross-eyed, wondering what we're up to. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have talked about it. You can disagree on a topic, but keep it about the topic. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But it's just fun. Sometimes you have to take a stand. Like like, like we said earlier in the podcast, sometimes I'm just here for the argument. <laughs> That's true. We Okay, we've d- gone through the Ambrosi presentation, and most people agree that he kind of dropped the ball and that uh, whether... I'm still not convinced that... He, he was solely responsible for this. I think there are other players involved with this. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding everything that's going on in terms of the money that the CFL is looking to keep it going, mm-hmm. there is a world that's going to come post-COVID. In my thought process, if the CFL doesn't get help and the CFL goes under, we go through all of this now, isolation, quarantine, physical distancing, and then at the end of it all, there's no Canadian Football League? That would be sad, actually, because um, for me, sports are about a release, an opportunity to step away from what's going on in your everyday life, whether that's the COVID-19 situation or whether it's just dealing with work and step out to a place that you can put anything you're thinking or any troubles you have away and just enjoy the game for the true excitement, the passion, the opportunity to see things unfold in front of you that you didn't know would potentially happen to me that that's why i love the cfl and i mean if it if at the end of the day we go through all of this and like many businesses the cfl goes under it would be a travesty and i would hope that you know we'd have an opportunity to bring it back as soon as possible and maybe like xfl too we could go cfl too but uh, my hope is that we're not going there well that's my hope as well but it's something that within the realm of possibility is a possibility. You do have, though, some major concerns. What do you do with three stadiums that have just come online in the last five years? Those are big 
empty. They truly are. I mean, high school, university football will hopefully continue, but uh, even some of those programs could be endangered, I guess, uh, over time because it costs money to continue those programs. But the other thing is that the civic stadiums that are there are going to be built to someone. And without the income, you're not generating uh, income to pay the rent for the stadium, but you're also losing the economic benefits of the league where people come from afar to see the games and and they're going to have an economic spinoff in the community. And and both of those things will be hard hit in, in many of these communities. Well, you look at game day in most CFL cities, you've got people coming in from out of town. So you've got hotels, you've got meals, and they may go to some other event. So that event now loses. There's a there's a spinoff of economic benefit that comes from having a game day that you just can't calculate in absolute dollars because it's spread all over the place. And I don't know that people sometimes really give the CFL credit for what it does in terms of spinoff economic value to the cities in which they play, but also to regions where they play. They all derive benefit from having a pro franchise in the Canadian Football League. I'm going to go so far as to say it's not just that economic benefit. When you have Ben Cahoon and and, uh, Cavillo and some of the people in the community who are ambassadors of the game, they also speak about their experiences and they provide hope for young uh, athletes that they can move on to play in a a league in a sport that they love. And, And I mean, if you're losing those icons that have gone through our league, I think that next generation is also Precisely, going to suffer. Precisely, because it's part of our heritage, it's part of our our way of life. I mean, especially for us diehards, but beyond that, for people that are even casual fans, when, you know when football season starts. We've gone through as, as youngsters, uh, knowing the names of the players that you love and wanting to see them and hear about them, and we can still remember them. We've gone through that before when we've talked about the people we remember watching and the history of the league. To lose that storied history and the opportunity to create new plays, new games we want to talk about, new situations that, that, that become part of the lore, I think would be devastating. There's no other way to say it. So as we look into future podcasts, we're going to have to change things up because unfortunately there is no rookie camp coming up. There is no training camp in a week's time. So we have to fill with something else. And what we've been sort of tossing around is the idea of bringing in two new elements. First, we're going to try a little bit of trivia. That would be fun. And we're going to see what Pat knows about the Canadian Football League and its history. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I I could be exposed now. I mean, I'm very good with the riders. Outside of that, maybe not so good. (laughs) But 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 certainly one major caveat, Superfan Mike is not allowed to participate. Yes, uh, walking encyclopedia, I think that would be a bit of an unfair situation. That would be the same as using Google, and I just don't think that should be allowed. (laughs) Well, if he's in, I'm out. Let's say that. (laughs) And the second thing is we're going to come up with a learning the rules segment where there's some very different rules in the uh, Canadian Football League that harken back to its rugby days. Mm -hmm. It was originally known as the CRU, the Canadian Rugby Union, and a lot of rules carry over from that era. So one of the things that uh, we thought about doing was introducing people to those rules and explaining how they affect a play or how they're interpreted in a play. That's uh, an opportunity for us to learn as fans um, how some of those will go. And maybe at some point we can even get some of the CFL refs or connections in too. Um, Would be fantastic to bring someone who's maybe been, even if not CFL, um, Don, that you yourself were 
are a football referee in three downs. Canadian football, let's say. <laughs> yeah, that was a few years ago now. But uh, yeah, and uh, that rule book, it isn't that thick, but boy, you better know it. Yep. You don't want to be embarrassed when you're out there. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is drop the hanky and then not know what you just called. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. The players, the fans, the coaches, no. and uh, least of all, probably the referee. Consistency and certainty. That's what players ask of you. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N. G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. Mm-hmm.